For the ones who know that a little late is always too late, and that the clock doesn't stop just because you're missing a part, Granger offers supplies and solutions for every industry, and our KeepStock inventory management solutions help ensure you have the right stuff in the right place at exactly the right time. Visit Granger.com/keepstock to learn more. Granger for the ones who get it done. Thanks for downloading the Sam Roberts Wrestling Podcast. Whether you're a subscriber or not, I wish you were a subscriber. But if you want to support the podcast, do me the biggest favor. If you're shopping at Amazon, go to notsam.com slash Amazon. It's the same Amazon website. It's the same Amazon prices, but a little bit kicks back to help support this podcast to keep it free for all of you. We've got great guests every week. Do me a favor. Go to notsam.com slash Amazon to do all of your Amazon purchases. Tell your kids, tell your wife, and enjoy the show. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to Sam Roberts Wrestling Podcast. Introducing your host from New York, here is Sam Roberts. Welcome another episode it's the episode it's the episode of the week it's sam roberts wrestling podcast here from the home studio in beautiful westchester new york the post first post wrestlemania 33 episode which i'm so excited i mean i'm gonna get into everything that happened this weekend it was it was incredible obviously i was a part of the nxt takeover orlando pre-show panel as well as a contributor on the WrestleMania kickoff show, which to say was a dream come true would be without hyperbole an understatement. Just incredible. I'll tell you guys all about it. And of course, we're going to talk about everything that happened at WrestleMania. We're going to talk about everything that happened on Raw and SmackDown. Because when you talk about a newsworthy week in the WWE, this would be that week. So much going on. So much to get into, and uh, you know, I did. I, I, well, I did my SiriusXM show at WrestleMania, uh, at WrestleMania Access the Friday before WrestleMania. Jim Norton and myself were out there, uh, and we interviewed both Roman Reigns and The Big Show. The Big Show interview is already up on YouTube. The Roman Reigns would interview will join it shortly over at YouTube.com/slash/NotSam. So I, re- I definitely recommend checking out both those interviews. And to you guys, again, I mean, I told you last week, I'm not going to... Oh, boy, that was the baby. I told you guys last week, and I'm not going to harp on it, but, I mean, anybody that doesn't like the fact that Jim Norton isn't asking, like, these inside wrestling questions, like, please realize that we can live in the bubble here on this show, but what I'm trying to do with Jim is bring WWE and pro wrestling to a mainstream audience. Jim Norton is helping me bring WWE and pro wrestling to the mainstream. He's asking questions that a person that may not be as familiar with WWE as you or I are would ask. So that's the goal, right? Is not just for us WWE fans to just be within a circle just talking to each other about the same stuff it's to bring more people into it is to expose this wonderful world of sports entertainment to the biggest audience possible and that's what i'm trying to do 
you guys that are mad that Jim isn't a wrestling expert are like, come on, guys. Like, think outside the box a little bit. Let's expand this thing, huh? It's good news for all of us. We want the product to be as big as possible. It's going to be better and better and better. And I'm trying to do that my way. But, I mean, you know, go on YouTube and tell the people, you know, tell the people that what's going on. We're bringing the product to the mainstream. And we're doing that by asking questions that you guys that have watched wrestling all your lives may already know the answers to. But we're getting all kinds of stories in there at the same time. So enjoy those interviews. And I bring up the Sirius XM show. I also, see, I was stuck with a dilemma. I did tape a couple interviews strictly for the podcast, strictly for you guys at WrestleMania Access. Um, and I was going to play the first one this week, but I decided instead that I would share with you an interview that we did this week on the Sirius XM radio show. And that, the reason I made this decision is because it's an it's a person that I think we're all curious about, but hasn't doesn't do a lot of interviews. And I just thought it was something that you guys would all be interested in and I wanted to share with you. So the former AJ Lee is our guest this week on Sam Roberts Wrestling Podcast. AJ Mendez Brooks, she just wrote a book called Crazy Is My Superpower. Uh, and it was really great to see her. I haven't spoken to her, I, I, maybe briefly, since she left WWE. And if you go on YouTube and you look up the previous interviews that I did with her, this is a woman who really was eat, sleep, breathe WWE. So I felt like it was abrupt when she left. You know, all, 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 to be fair, I didn't know her. I hadn't spoken with her about the decision. Maybe she's feeling that way a long time. But to me, it seemed abrupt based on the fact that I was under the impression that this was her lifelong dream. So um, we talked a little bit about that in the interview, along with uh, a lot of what's in the book about her family, about mental illness, uh, a little bit about her uh, relationship with CM Punk. It really was a great time having her in studio. I'm really glad she stopped by. The book is fantastic. It, I mean, I had no idea how interesting AJ's story was. Uh, but I thought that this would be, and you can tweet me if you agree or disagree with me at not Sam, but I thought this would be the interview to share with you this week and next week we'll get on board with, uh, uh, with the interviews that I, uh, taped over at, uh, access sound good. I thought so. We'll get into WrestleMania in the state of wrestling, but first we go with the interview and this week it's AJ Mendez Brooks. And now, the Sam Roberts Wrestling Podcast interview. AJ. Hello. Hey, how are you? Good, how are you guys? Good, Welcome. thank you. You put your gum in the trash can like a professional. That was yeah. very nice. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like you can hear everything. Wanna... Well, welcome, we're live. Gross. Oh, so, we're live right now. They live, live. They're supposed to tell the guests before they come in. Well, Roland just kind of mumbles everything. No so one I knows think. what he's saying. <laughs> I, think I think he said it. I'm just in a... Should I, do I need to put these on? You don't, you don't have, have to. to. Okay, all right. Yeah. Just talk into the you microphone. You might miss some of my subtleties. <laughs> <laughs> you don't want to miss I might Norton's miss gum subtleties. chewing, is it, you know? Yeah. Not... yeah. I've, I've done it on the air. It's okay. But it was nice if you did not do it. It's professional. <laughs> yeah. Thank you so much for having me. Of course. of course. Well, your book's out, finally, right? Yes. I didn't know you had a book out. Nobody told me you had a book out. Oh, my God. So I didn't I would have called you if I had your number. <laughs> well, I would have. Well, CM has my number. 
He does. That's All right. right. Well, next time. I would have read it. Is Jim the only person that calls your husband they, CM? They call him Punk. I don't call him Punk. I call him CM. You I, know what's interesting? Is I, we were just having this conversation that if you were not like super entrenched in wrestling, you might think it's really disrespectful to just call a grown man Punk. Right. I guess so. <laughs> so I see a lot of people tend to say CM. Right. And yeah. everybody's too afraid to say Phil because they're like, I don't know if I'm on that level. Right. <laughs> like, I don't. Somebody asked me yesterday, they were like, do you call him Punk? And I was like, what <laughs> is wrong with you that you think? Yeah. <laughs> you call him Phil, right? Yeah. I don't no. know. I wouldn't call him Phil. I don't know. I, I know him as CM Punk, so I'd call him CM. That's just... well, yeah. Well, you're not married to him. <laughs> what's the C- what's the C- that's, yeah, but that wasn't his choice. What's, what, <laughs> what's, the, what's yeah. the CM stand for? Yeah, what does CM stand for? <laughs> I think it's supposed to be a mystery for the rest of uh, time. So. Yeah. Oh, is it, it was just the name? Every interview I think he's ever done, he I feel like. Different yeah, oh, he does. So okay. I don't want to break that. Right. <laughs> right. Okay. Yeah, you, you call him punk. He's still got his um, posters on the wall. You yeah. buy his toys. Yeah. Like, yeah, totally. Um, do, do you like, wrestle? Do, stand for? do you wrestle? I did, yes. You did. Okay. How long ago? Uh, I just retired uh, two years ago, and that's oh. when we started the book. Um, but I did it for about a decade. Oh, okay. Yes. The book took two years? The whole process does. I, it took about a year to really get the actual book itself done. And, yeah. Because um, you wrote it with no ghostwriter. Yes, which I overestimated my abilities and thought, oh, this is going to be so easy. And no ghostwriter, no co-writer. Um, and then, you know, maybe two days into it, I was just crying into my hair. Um, and <laughs> Why were you crying? Eating. Was it hard to it's do? It's the hardest thing I've ever done in my life. What was, hard, was there anything in here that you, like, you, as you start writing something, you're like, ugh. Why did I open this can? What am I doing? You, you know what? It was almost the, the opposite. I would send in these drafts, and I would be ashamed that I wasn't more open. Um, because the book is supposed to be this kind of love letter to um, the positive side of mental illness and what you can take out of that. Um, and I was still being kind of ashamed of it. And so I needed to keep going through all these drafts and really put out the darkest moments in my life, my biggest mistakes, and just you know, get the courage and kind of sack up and do it. Um, Mental illness has been a big part of your family? Yeah, it runs in my family. Bipolar disorder does. um, Depression does. um, My brother was a soldier. He has PTSD. It's something we're more uh, susceptible to. Um, And I was diagnosed with bipolar disorder um, around 1920. Um, And so... A long time ago. A long time ago. And no, we're like, joking about the year 1920. Yeah, it's like 100 <laughs> years ago almost. <laughs> that that, that did sound like we were being dicks. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> what we want. <laughs> Guys, I use a lot of moisturizer. <laughs> yeah. I am very old. <laughs> um, uh, when yeah. did you first realize you had something going on? Like, okay, 19 or 20, you got diagnosed. But when did you first realize, like, something's not, something's messed up? Uh, I, I was telling someone the other day, I, I don't remember a time where I wasn't, where I didn't feel bipolar, where I didn't feel like there was something a little off. Um, I was the weird kid that would drown her Barbie dolls and, you know, uh, you solved every problem with violence and I didn't understand why. Um, I just thought that was normal. Violence. You just go right to rage? Yes, definitely. Um, you know, violence was normalized. I would, you know, hit kids in school all the time and they were kind of afraid of the, you know, tiny little uh, bomb ready to go off. (laughs) Um, And so I think finding wrestling and using it as violence became an art form uh, was uh, a way to kind of release that and channel that energy. (laughs) The book is really like, uh, I wasn't, because I figured, it's called Crazy is My Superpower, by the way, and it's out now. But uh, I figured that it would not be a wrestling book because you'd left wrestling it was going to be just your life and so I was like oh that's interesting because I didn't really know much about you 
from before wrestling. And like, I was like, fat, like I figured I'd skim the beginning and then get to the part. But I ended up reading the entire thing because like I couldn't believe the stories you were telling, especially when you would tell them like jovially. Like you, you talked about this like incident where your, your dad was beating up your mom and choking her and like AJ walks in and sees her dad holding a TV over his head about to slam it on her mom. And I'm like, oh, this must be this moment where like the family falls apart and she jumps in, stops it from happening. And within a few hours by that night, everybody's happy and together again. And it was like, Mm, that's, I mean, you talk about normalizing Mm -hmm. things like that's crazy. Definitely. Was he a drinker? Yes. Oh, he was drunk. And that's why I don't drink. (laughs) Yeah. And he did drugs too, right? There was definitely drug use and alcohol use in my family. And, and I think it all kind of stems from everyone having their own bouts of depression. And and in my household, mental illness was not something we respected or acknowledged was real. And so everyone found their own way out. Um, my mother went un- undiagnosed for most of her life um, until she had a breakdown and there was no way to ignore it anymore. Um, and so for me, the the process of writing the book and kind of going back and reliving these traumatic memories um, was a way to forgive all of that stuff, realize that everyone was just dealing with these problems the wrong way, and to to show people that you have to catch this stuff early and you have to treat it and respect its power um, so it doesn't take over your life and you don't make these kind of decisions. Did you get beaten up by your father or was, or was he more like violent towards your mom? Um, what I go through in the book is that my mother and I had more of a um, unhealthy relationship because of her bipolar disorder. Um, she was more psychologically abusive to me. Um, and it, the, the disorder controlled her. Um, and, you know, you, you grow up and you think you have this, like, movie villain in your house and every, every moment is scary. Um, and as I get older, I realize that it, I... I'm not angry at her. We failed her. Nobody stopped and got her help. Um, we didn't, you know, we were told that you had to be tough and ignore mental illness and, you know, depression is for pansies. And that's just not true. It's, you have so, you are so much stronger if you can say, oh, something's wrong with me. I'm going to go fix it. If you have the courage to just admit something. As long wrong. as someone's willing to help themselves, I think that's the key too. Yeah. Like, because with mentally ill people, and I've certainly dealt with enough myself, and I got my own problems, but there, if there's a certain thing where they, they use it and they're like, they want to, they expect to be, well, I'm mentally ill, you have to, and right. they don't want to help themselves. So right. if someone's willing to go, I'm going to take a step and try to fix myself. And that's definitely the first step is you acknowledging it and wanting help and reaching out to your support system that hopefully is listening and can can help you out. It's a it's a team effort. It really is because it affects everyone. That treatment thing based on where you came from had to be tough, like to actually go and get it treated, because even for I mean, there is a thing in the book, too, when you're like a little kid, and you get your head cracked open. Right. And you're like, wait, how did that happen? Um, my my sister who's here is going to be mad at me for sharing this. Uh, she <laughs> dropped me. Uh, we, would, <laughs> we would kind of mess around, and she dropped me on my head. Um, and I started to get really woozy, and then my mom came over and was like, why does your hair look so messy? And started combing my hair, and all of my hair started to fall out, and there's just blood everywhere. Um, and we were just so afraid to be like, okay, something's wrong, or we have need to go get help in any situation in life. And right, like you, you were rewarded. For, for not going to for the not hospital. Going to the hospital. <laughs> like it was like, yeah, you're tough. Good for you. We'll wrap it up and you'll be fine. Put a towel on it. 
So Sleep it off. So you didn't wait. You didn't get picked up by an ambulance, and then when they picked you up, you say, "Pray for me." <laughs> I did that when I was a boy. No, 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 you didn't. <laughs> I told the story. Oh, you weren't here. I told you the other day. I don't. Oh, remember maybe that was it. Monday. I told the story. Yeah, yeah. Sam was not here. Oh, oh my God! What happened? I, I, I got hit with a baseball. I'm sorry. I was referencing something, and in my head, I was 13, and I and blood gushed, oh and so I went home, and they, and I, they called an ambulance. <laughs> And I told my mother on the way, or the ambulance person, I'm like, pray for me. <laughs> what if your last words had been pray for me? Then it would have shown how ineffective it is. There you yeah. go. Yeah, exactly. there you go. Oh, I thought you, knew, I thought you were here. I had no idea. <laughs> oh. That's so pathetic. Yes, it is. But you, was, how old were you when that happened? Um, probably five. So as a five-year-old girl, <laughs> you handled it better. Okay. You were twice as old then. Yeah. And, uh, no, more than twelve. I was thirteen. Did your Did your parents like when you said pray for me? Did they react like what? I don't remember. I think I said it to one of the ambulance people. Oh my! Oh my so God. the ambulance people of all people knew there was nothing wrong with you. You were yes, like, this did. is it. I can feel it. <laughs> yeah. Had a, had a good run. run. <laughs> yeah. But like, but even that, like, if you're not getting treatment for a physical thing, like my head is cracked open. Like I can't imagine getting to the psychological place where you would think. I should get treatment for mental illness. Exactly. Because it's invisible. And, you know, not only in, in just just it, acknowledging mental illness is such as there's such a stigma around it. But growing up in this Hispanic household where everything is, you know, about machismo and toughness. And and also you grow up in such hardship. You know, we got evicted more than 20 times. We were homeless. We lived in a car. We lived in a motel for a, a, almost three years. Um hardships and pain was normal and you were you just toughed through it and you didn't complain and so to stop and be like I'm sad and I need to recognize this was the weakest you could possibly be in my family and that's such ass backwards thinking yeah um and so that was something I had to kind of shake off and the only way I actually started getting help was when um it was sort of too late for my mother. My mother uh, overdosed and, and, and ended up committed. And that was really my wake up call where I was like, okay, I can't, I can't end up there. I have to take care of myself and find my own way. And, and so you're, and you're married to, to CM Punk. Now you, when you, you, were there times when you first met where he would be like, what's going on here? <laughs> like, it, or, um, or did he right, know immediately, or, right. or, or were you, would you have episodes that he would go like, what I, what, what's happening? This is crazy. Um, we were really good friends for a long time before we ever dated, and so he he knew um, he knew what he was getting into. I like okay. to say. Okay, so uh, <laughs> that's the worst too because he can't even be mad about it. He's like, all right, I signed up for it. Yeah, I did. It would have been great if I didn't tell him, and then we get married, and then I'm like, ha, you bought this. Um, so you would you no, will, no. will you just irrationally scream when you get upset, and will he will he go like, look, I know what this is, and and not feed into it? So I think like. When I was younger, for sure, like everything was solved with violence and everything was so volatile. And um, through actually getting treatment and going to therapy and being around the right medication, uh, I feel like I have more of control over it. I'd say the thing that is a struggle every day is the depressive cycles. It's those cycles where you just wake up and you feel like you are um, covered in, in, clou in dark clouds and you can't get off the bed and you weigh 100 pounds heavier and... Um, those days are the hardest, and um, he tries his best to help me through those days. And I just had one not too long ago, and my birthday was about to uh, uh, was a few days away, and it was my thirtieth birthday, and I was so excited. Um, and I was bummed out that I was, you know, basically going to miss my birthday because these cycles last maybe a week or two. Oh, and but um, you know when you're in it, like you're I know aware. When I'm in it now, yeah. I think when I was younger, I was just I would really throw a pity party and you know cry, and and but now I'm 
so educated about it. I mm-hmm. know, okay, these emotions aren't real. Let's just power through it. Um, and he was so great, and he uh, surprised me and flew one of my best friends in to try to, like, lift my spirits for my birthday. And, and it worked. Do you Sometimes find, you just need support. Do you find with stuff like that, like, when you're feeling like it's, – it's a, it's a physical feeling. It's a weird thing in, in your neck, mm-hmm. down to your stomach. It's a, it's a head – like a thickness. Yes. It, and there's almost – it's almost addicting, like, with, with getting angry. Like, if you get mad about something and then you start thinking about how I was slighted, that motherfucker. And I can feel my – but it feels good in a weird way. And it's hard not to do it just because it's like eating sugar right. or doing something else crazy or sex or, or drugs. It just It's a rush even though it's shitty. Yes, definitely. And especially with bipolar disorder, there's two ends of the spectrum. There are depressive cycles and there are manic cycles. And so many people who are bipolar love their manic cycles because you are on top of the world. You have so much energy. You get stuff done. And a lot um, of times people around them enjoy the yes, manic oh my god that's yeah. when they're captivating yes. and fun and unpredictable and like and and i there there is a lot to that like sometimes it does help like with creativity and like writing it actually can be like a useful tool but you have to be careful because there's a very uh thin line between that and being like i'm uh, immortal i can run in front of this car like it really gets there really fast um, at what point did you like really because i've uh people in my family that are close that have bi- that are bipolar and the most difficult part for us and really for them is balancing medication and that feeling of you get the right balance, you feel better, you stop taking the medication because you think you're better. Right. And it's just this cycle that just continues on. And it's, it almost becomes one of these like sad things where even when it's good, mm-hmm. you're like, it's good today. Like, right. You know what I mean? Exactly. And that's the thing where people get so overwhelmed and they don't want to even start treatment. I think I just read a stat on NAMI.org, who I'm partnering with now. So I'm, I'm super proud of that, um, the National Alliance for Mental Illness. Um, but I read a stat on their website that said that most people wait 10 years to start getting treatment um, after their, their symptoms start, which is insane. But that is what I did, too. So it's, it's so hard for people to just commit because they know it is a process and it's something that you have to fight every day um, and take care of every day. And it doesn't stop. There is no cure, but there is treatment and you have to commit to it. But when you so do you, you, you so you take medication. It's always scared me to take anything because I know those manic states and the right because I'm like, it's going to fuck up my creativity. I'm not going right. to think as clearly. I don't want to be one of those people who's medicated with spittle. In the corner of the mouth. You know those people that whenever they talk, they're right, like, yeah, right. I feel really great. And then they get like that dry spit. You're like, oh. <laughs> those psychic, how are you? Very even. Oh, <laughs> fuck yourself. It's just a scary way to be. People are so afraid of feeling like, like a robot. And sometimes when you start medication, it it can feel like that. There is a bit of a fog, the, maybe the first week or two. But you just get past that, and then it kind of, everything evens out and falls into place. But it those first kind of steps can be so demoralizing to people because it doesn't work right away. So it is something you have to commit to and hopefully have a support system that convinces you to, you know, just keep taking it, keep trying, find the right dosage. Um, I, I see it like a, this ba- like a balance scale. It, it, especially with when you write the, when you find the right dosage, you just, uh, instead of being all over the place, you find a nice, comfortable balance between it. What do you do when you get like when when you were working for WWE? If you would if you would go through one of those cycles mm-hmm. where you don't feel like you can get out of bed, I mean the WWE is kind of known for stopping for no one. Right. So is that something? Do you have to power through it? Do you explain to people like this is what's going on with me? Um, well, no one knew. It was something I kept very close. Um, 
close to the best. Only, you know, the closest people to me that would travel with me or, or hang out with me. And, and I would tell them I had I was lucky enough to have really good friends on the road that I would, you know, tell them, OK, look out for me today. <laughs> um, make sure I don't kill anyone. Um, but it was the kind uh, because I have committed to a perfect combination of therapy and treatment. Mm -hmm. um, I do feel like I am able to handle the stress of that and I am able to power through when I am having a, a bad day. How, how did it feel to watch CM fight in, in UFC to take such a jump from wrestling to that? Oh gosh, it, it's a, it was a mix, so many different emotions all at once. <laughs> such a cornucopia of emotions. Um, I am someone who believes in in going for whatever your dream is. You know, I was a, the homeless kid in New Jersey and then I ended up as a you know multiple time champion on TV. Um, and people would have laughed at me when I was a kid if I would have said that was my dream. So for him to want to do something so bold, I supported him 100%. But it's, you know, I really like his face. So I didn't, you <laughs> didn't know. want him to get punched in it. Yeah, yes. <laughs> um, but, you know, I was, I was, I was just so proud of him for, you know, doing but, it. But is it like as a, as a, as a spouse, is it more difficult to watch him do that? Because, you know, you could watch him wrestle, but you know that it's dangerous, but the mm -hmm. guy who's across from him is not, hopefully, trying to hurt him. Right. Whereas, like, I'm now watching my husband in a situation where that guy who's a professional wants nothing more than to inflict, Knock him out. Yeah, inflict right. damage onto this person. Is that like a... I, yeah, that was definitely the weirdest thing was just even, like, the kind of the months leading up, just knowing that there's this person out there in the world that their only thought is hurting your husband <laughs> you know that is what their game plan is for months um and that's their job and i respect the sport so much and um i think they do a wonderful job but it's, it's did you go to weird. the fight i did and i wasn't gonna go um i wasn't i was gonna watch from backstage in like the last second i was like okay i'll, I'll sit ringside um so i sat ringside and I, I sat with one of phil's sisters and you know and then just got out of there right when it was done and what did you say after? Because it was, again, the, the guy he fought, Mickey Gall, was just a, a young, he's a, a jiu-jitsu guy. It's, it's a hard thing to beat when a jiu-jitsu guy grabs you. I mean, right. even though, you know, CM Punk's a very tough dude, it's yes. just hard to take nine years of jiu-jitsu and put it, you, you can't do it. It's just a very hard. So what happened afterwards when you guys go backstage? and Because he seemed to handle it okay. Yeah. Um, I mean, I think that there's probably, you know, I, I don't think it hurt that, you know, for one night of working, you know, you get paid a million dollars. Like, he was pretty psyched about that. Um, <laughs> yeah, so believe me, I let Mickey Gall kick me in the mouth for a million dollars. Yeah, of course. Yeah, so he came backstage with the, the most giant smile on his face. And uh, he's incredibly sweaty. And I just, just threw myself on him. I was like, I'm so freaking proud of you. And um, his speech was just so moving. And I try not to get emotional in front of people. So we just kind of went to our little corner. And I was like, that was... So fucking cool. I'm so proud Does of him. Does he want to fight again? Yes. <laughs> Does he have one lined up? Because I've been hearing rumors here and there. Um, he 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 wants to fight again. And I, you know, I'm never gonna be the person that stops someone from doing whatever their dream is. So I support it. I'm just, you know, I just look at his face right now and I'm like, okay, stay that way, stay that way, stay that way. There's also um, gotta be this more amazing feeling because like you know above anybody, like what the WWE schedule is, which is like you can psychologically build towards this thing. Mm -hmm. It's over, and you know the next night, the next night. Like, it's just never ending. Right. Whereas with this one, like, he trains, mm -hmm. he fights, and, like, regardless, it's over now. Like, right. there's, like, I can start thinking about the next thing, but it's not like tomorrow I have to be ready to just Do it again. continue on with yeah. the show relentlessly. Definitely. And I, I, I feel like there is, you know, there is a give and take. There's 
one thing with like writing a book, I have to wait two years to under to know how people are going to receive it. And in wrestling, you get that instant gratification. Quick fix, yeah. And so like that's a different kind of uh, uh, ride to go on. Yeah. Um, but there is something so wonderful about just being calm and being, to, you know, going to your own bed at night and waking up and not um, having to peel yourself out because you're so hurt. Um, so, so it is. There is a piece that I think uh, neither of us really knew through our home lives or through our work lives because we, everything has just been so hectic and gypsy-like and, and moving at a hundred miles an hour. And so to finally have fab that that calm place called home is a. Is different, and we're getting used to it. <laughs> yeah, I've been curious for a long time because, like, I've, 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 I met you a long time ago. Yes, like in, in I met. AJ. Do you really remember meeting him though? Yes, I do. Okay, in, Sam's like she's not gonna remember me. I'm like she will. Dude. I didn't say that. I, I met her in Rahway, New Jersey, yep. like before she was in WWE, like wrestling in one of these tiny shows. And I remember like she's sitting there just trying to get on this show, show in Rahway, mm-hmm. and like a year later or so, or however, was not terribly much later she pops up on tv and nxt and like this whole thing starts but like i don't know if it's a question about psychologically or or or, because i worry for myself like how do you get to a place where you realize that this thing that you always considered was a lifelong dream which is wrestling like this is what i want to do with my life is oh wait this might just be a chapter oh gosh you know what um, and I, ta- I talk about that in the book that there's something gratifying about chasing something and chasing it and being like, okay, one day I'm going to get that. And it's kind of like if your dog is like trying to chase a squirrel and then like, what is he really going to do when he gets it? <laughs> when he catches right. it. Um, and so for me, there were so many moments in my life where it was just about getting signed. It was just about like getting a job that I could help support my family. And then I, it happened. And then I was like, oh, okay, well now I have to make new life goals. And, and I literally wrote a list. And I was like, these are all the things that I need to accomplish in wrestling. And this might take me a decade, but I, I, this is, I, this needs to happen or I'll never leave. Um, and, and then I did them all in like three years, uh, a lot of them within the first year. And it was, you kind of are left in this place where I think people like struggling in a weird way. People mm-hmm. are a little masochistic and, and they want to have something to be angry about or, or have to keep fighting for. And when you are content, that's a strange feeling. Um, and so you have to say, okay, what is the next goal? What's the next big thing I need to accomplish while I'm still healthy and still young and can still still have opportunities. Um, so for me, it was, okay, I, I, I lived this life of hardship. It had to have been for a reason. It, have to, it has to have been so I can share my story. Um, and that's when this started kind of becoming real. So you treated this, this isn't just like a, well, I don't want to wrestle anymore, so I got all this time, so I'm just going to write this book. <laughs> this is like, you treated this the same way, like this became the new dream, Yeah, just getting a book on the show. Yeah, I went to um, NYU for a solid six months. Um, <laughs> did you really? What did you want to major in? I did. Um, I was studying film and television, and I wanted to write screenplays. Um, so my whole life, I was always writing stories because I loved comic books and I loved video games. And so writing about those in in that realm of fantasy was my escape from my reality. Um, so it was always my strength, and it was always my my safe place. Um, and so I went to study that in school and got kicked out and started wrestling. Why'd you get kicked out? I couldn't afford it. Oh, School's money, really expensive, okay. and I was very poor. Uh, very hopeful, but very, very poor. <laughs> Were you a good screenwriter? I think I had straight A's the first, uh, the, my first semester. What's the name of one of the things you wrote, uh, uh, like one of your titles? <laughs> 
Just the title. Yeah, I want to know what the title is. Yeah. I can't remember. I cannot remember. But I, I will probably make them now because oh, I have now. practice now. So writing has always been, before my body was my weapon, my brain was. And so it's always been a goal to kind of get back to that thing that I found strength and comfort in. Um, and I wasn't sure if I could do it. And... And I did it all on my own, and it's been getting such positive reviews and reaction that I feel like I have become an author through this, and I want to keep writing. I'm working on my second book now. Um, what is that about? Is it a follow-up? Or it is, is it... a follow-up, yeah. and it does go more into um, fitness and how you can kind of create your own therapy um, and how that really helps. You can really formulate uh, your own type of therapy to, to healing with any sort of stress or depression or mental illness. Um, and it will have ridiculous stories like this. One <laughs> well, it's great though that you're talking about that stuff. A lot of people, you know, kind of keep it. Oh yeah. Quiet, but then you look at how people had fucked up childhoods, and it's like, yeah, a lot of people. Have... A lot of people do, and you get so ashamed, and you bottle it up. And it's if I can put it out there, and I can talk about the darkest stuff while like throwing in a dick joke or two, I think that makes people <laughs> listen a little bit more. It's my whole life you just described. Yeah. <laughs> so, were your parents? Are your parents living? Yes, they are. Okay, are they both? Are they kind of healthier now? Or are they both still messed up? They're both a lot healthier um, and calm and content. And I think you know, being calm and content is is worrying for them, you know, um, because it's something they they were never used to. So I'm just trying to get the whole family to be comfortable being happy. <laughs> How do they feel about your book and the things you talked about? I hope they're okay. Oh, they haven't read it. <laughs> they have not read it. Oh. Um, you had to mention the TV. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my Lord. Um, I, you know, and that, and that is a thing. I do kind of, you know, this comes out into the world, and I'm like, okay, who am I rubbing the wrong way? But at the end of the day, it's going to help more people, and I don't care, you know, what it does to me. I, I need it to help people, and I'm willing to kind of expose myself for that. And the book is called uh, It's Crazy as My Superpower, AJ Mendez Brooks is who we're talking to. I mean, people know that, but if you're just tuning in. <laughs> what was it like uh, uh, when you started making real money? Because, I mean, you're really, in your three years, you're extraordinarily <laughs> successful. <laughs> so, like, when, when money starts to come to you and also to your family that never really mm -hmm. had it, right? was that a difficult thing to inject into the equation? I think definitely. I, my sister and I were always the the parents to our parents and as like emotionally and you know like working at a supermarket to fill the fridge and so then when I was making real money it became okay now you can do everything and and so that was a balancing act um so I, I felt like I've had children my entire life mm -hmm. um but it was really cool and and I you never stop feeling like a poor girl <laughs> so I never you know I just I still shop at Target and like I'm yeah. happiest there <laughs> it's always like if you compensate in one of you either spend everything because yes. you're so excited or you don't spend anything because yes. you know it's just gonna disappear exactly which, I, which I think do you do I, I think I appreciate money and I, I know how fleeting it can be yeah. and I will never I will never be where I was ever again, and do, I'll make sure of that. Do you ever now? Did you have to deal with Reggie Jackson said when he made money from from the Yankees that he would allow everyone in the family to come to him once for money? Like you can come to the well one time, and that's it. Make it good, and I'll I'll see if I can help you if I don't. So did you have people calling you all of a sudden, like uh, like you're like oh Christ this? Yeah, definitely. I, I like all of a sudden gained a bunch of like cousins I didn't know I had. Right. Um, the research reaching out on Facebook and finding <laughs> you. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. But I think that's a. I should have implemented that, and I might now. I'll be like, all right, you have one more, everybody. <laughs> um, but yeah, I think that is rough because you want to be a caretaker, and if one of you succeeded, you want to bring everyone with you. But you also have to know the balance of you have to take care of yourself first before you can take care of anyone else. Yeah. Um, 
But yeah, I definitely, we don't, uh, my husband as well, he grew up poor too, and, and we don't take our money for granted. We're very careful. And That's we, smart. Yeah, I, I, I think so. I'll spend money on video games till the cows come home, but... That's about it. <laughs> That's a luxury you could let yourself. Like, as long as you're not buying, you know, Porsches yeah, or, or just I mean. different houses. People, I love people who have eight houses. What are you <laughs> fucking doing? You can't you yeah. sell most of them. It's like a status thing, and we don't give a shit what people think about us. So like, we're happy with what we have. Chicago, right? Yes. You guys are... Do you guys? Do you guys? I guess you and Punk would be in the same boat. See him. As... <laughs> uh, do you guys go through moments where you miss? Not everything associated with the business, but that crowd reaction to what you're oh. doing. Like, where you're just sitting there being like, ah, yeah. it'd be nice right now to just be in the ring in front of, even if it's, I mean, it could be 70,000 people, it could be 15 people that are just right. reacting to something cool that you're doing. Because there's nothing, that, I don't know that there's that much of a replacement for it. I mean, there's the one fight, which was probably what felt like that rush again, but that's... But there's nothing like that every single day exactly. for 300 days a year. I mean, I think him and I have different have differing views on that for sure. Mm-hmm. I I love, you know, my heart is always going to have this giant place for wrestling, and so I'll always miss that 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 moment right in the ring when you feel the energy from the crowd. There's nothing that can replace that. Um, but I think you need to also appreciate the different kinds of happy there are. Um, so I have positive memories of that, and I and I, I miss the fans. And so, doing these like autograph signings and seeing these people that I've seen for you know the past seven years totally. um, is the coolest thing in the world to me. Um, so it's nice to kind of see them again. Um, but he's okay without the crowds because you said you're differing. <laughs> he's, ve- he's very okay. <laughs> um, but I so I do want to mention. I hope everyone comes out to Tribeca tonight. Yes, all the book signings (laughs) that are happening. You got a book signing in Tribeca tonight? We are in Tribeca, Barnes & Noble tonight, and then we're in New Jersey tomorrow. Are you at at, uh, bookends in New Jersey? Yes, tomorrow. It's an independent bookstore in Inglewood, right? Where where is it? Ridgewood. Ridgewood, sorry. Yeah, it's a great independent bookstore. Bookend, yep. And then uh, back to uh, Illinois on Saturday, and then April 11th in Chicago, and April 13th you're in Austin. So you're you're back on the road. I am, and it feels so strange. Like, and right away, I was like, oh, I forgot what not sleeping felt like. Oh, yeah. this is awful. So, were you, so good on, were you good on the mic when you were, like, did you have a good, uh, the, the yeah, mic? Yeah, I would say that was my strongest point. It was, okay. Yes. Yeah, I, I've always thought I should have done that just because I was so good. You think you're good on the mic? <laughs> yeah, with that stuff, yeah. Like, what type of stuff would you do? Bow out, wrestle you, I would just shout, whatever. What, can, I don't you, do it. can you cut a promo? Have, have you cut a promo? Many promos. <laughs> you Many have. promos. Like, what would you say? Depends on who I'm wrestling. Like let's say you're wrestling like like let's say superstar Billy Graham had taken your title. Yeah, I just go go get my belt back. You, you stole my belt. <laughs> I do a very good Dusty Rhodes. He was my favorite wrestler as a kid. It's not Dusty a, was awesome. Yeah, he was a bad Dusty Rhodes. Not a bad Dusty yeah. Rhodes. Okay. <laughs> yeah, any I effort I appreciate. I know a hard time. I'm very good. People are jealous. It's really really bad. Yeah, it's she really knows. bad. It's good. She knows. So do you? I I since you have differing points of view, that's that's got to be difficult. Do you have moments where you're like, oh, I kind of want to turn on this match I watched growing up or I kind of want to see what's going on TV while your husband's like don't put that shit on in my house oh my gosh (laughs) well I can't watch myself on TV like that Uh started to give me real anxiety um but for me, and I, I've said this a few times, but it sort of feels like if you go through this like healthy mutual breakup, no matter like how okay it is, you, you're not hanging out right after. You totally. Know, you are taking some space. And sure. You're like, I hope they find someone, you know. That oh, I never do them. after a breakup. I'm like, <laughs> I hope they die in a fire. 
<laughs> and I find someone. Yeah. <laughs> Jim hopes they find somebody as he's waiting outside their apartment window. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. I hope they find somebody and they're miserable. I hope I find a nice person. <laughs> Either way, you're probably not getting coffee. Right. right. So that's sort of what it feels like. So I would. I so much of my life was being a fan, and like I would love to get back to that feeling and that suspension of disbelief. But you're not but quite there yet. I'm not there yet, but I hope space. I can be one day for sure. Yeah. Well, you got as close as one can possibly get, so in order you have to distance yourself yeah. that much before you can... What do they say how long it takes to break up half the time in the relationship to get right. over it? Right, right. All right, there you yeah. go. Yeah, you get 10 years, so that's five years at least. <laughs> we have to... Man, oh man, yes. We have one minute left. Uh, well, we have to wrap up, but the book really is good. Thank you, you so much. You did a really great job, and the stories are like, it's funny... There's one like this one thing that made me it just made me giggle like you were sitting there with your brother watching wrestling or so I think and it was like the first time your brother had said anything like nice to you right. he was like uh, he said something like uh, oh you know do you think that's cool and little kid AJ just responds like yeah and she just starts talking up a storm and asking if they want to share friendship bracelets and yes, like, yes. Just... I was desperate for his approval that's what started all of this there's a lot of <laughs> yes. a lot of really funny stories and like you know. As a wrestling fan, I will tell you that the the family stuff is my favorite part of the book. Wow! So that's I thought awesome. it was I thought it was really really good. So crazy is my superpower. It's out now, and check out the book signings. AJ uh, Brooks on Twitter if you yes. want if you want to find the the signings. Uh, you know, I'm sure you. you and you, AJ Mendezbrooks.com has all the listings. Yes. For the book tour. And uh, thank you very much. This was fun. Yeah, congrats thank you guys. on everything. Thank you for having yes. me. Here is Sam Roberts. Really interesting conversation with A.J. Lee, uh, A.J. Mendez Brooks now. And I really do recommend getting her book. You know, I was being honest and I was being polite about it. But, you know, I was not sold on the idea of A.J.'s book uh, because I didn't know how much wrestling stuff would be in there. I didn't know what her feelings were about wrestling. It was nice to hear her speaking about it a little bit more warmly than CM Punk does. Uh, And I... I just wasn't, and 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 as I kind of skimmed it, I said well, she doesn't really get into the wrestling stuff until later. But I'm really glad that I didn't skip over the beginning stuff because I had no idea what an interesting upbringing she had, and and how tumultuous her family relationship had been, and and just how much she had gone through and overcome and everything. And I just, it's funny, it's interesting. I would really recommend picking it up and. And, you know, hit her up uh, at some of these autograph signings if you see her. And and it is a funny thing because, you know, your lifelong goal is to be a WWE superstar. And you achieve that goal. And then there are goals within that, right? You want to be the best. You want to be this. You want to be that. And, I mean, I guess for some people those goals run out. I feel like if you don't fall out of love with it, you can always have this goal, like Ric Flair, of being the greatest of all time. Uh, but I, I do think there is something to be said about achieving everything that you wanted to achieve and then looking around and saying, okay, now what? And some people are just like that, and maybe that's who AJ is. So uh, thanks to uh, AJ for coming in. And again, everybody check out her book. And if you're going to buy her book, make sure you go to notsam.com slash Amazon to do so, Okay. Um, there's a lot, there's so much to talk about. There's no way we're going to cover everything that you want me to cover this week on State of Wrestling. I do want to thank WWE for allowing me to be a part of WrestleMania weekend. It was such 
a dream come true. I can't even tell you. So I got there Friday morning. No, Thursday night. I got to the hotel. Friday morning, I got up and did uh, Radio Row like I do every year at WrestleMania Access. And again, I got a couple interviews that will air here on the podcast. And we did a couple interviews that we aired live with Jim Norton on SiriusXM. Uh, you can see those videos at youtube.com slash notsam. And they set us up so amazingly. We actually broadcast the Sirius show live from the Elimination Chamber. So when you talk about Next Level, it was so much fun. So we do that, and then, uh, of course, Friday uh, afternoon, evening is the Hall of Fame. Um, I just got to, I wasn't doing anything at the Hall of Fame, but I got there. I got to see everybody hang out, sit there on the floor, and, and watch all the speeches and everything, and just, uh, and just have a good time. It was really great to catch up with DDP backstage, you know, talk to him, congratulate him, and he really, it really meant a lot to him going into the Hall of Fame. And he was really, really happy about it. So that was really good to see. And I always love seeing good things happen to, to DDP because he's a really good guy. And he deserves it and he's helped a lot of people. Uh, so it's nice to see. You know, sometimes when guys help a lot of people, they end up not necessarily getting everything that they deserve because they've spent so long making sure that everybody else is good. Who's going to make sure that they're good? It sounds hokey. But it's the way it goes. So to see DDP get rewarded for his career, I thought was very deserving. Great way to start Hall of Fame. Uh, You know, it did get long. All Hall of Fames get long. But I guess that's part of it, right? Saturday was an all-day affair. Saturday was all day at uh, the Amway Center because I was part of the NXT pre-show panel with Charlie Caruso and Nigel McGuinness. And uh, that was a blast. Uh, I loved working with Nigel McGinnis. Nigel has this really interesting way about him when we're doing the show where he's being like a bad guy. He's being heelish without being over the top and hokey and stuff. It's just the essence is there. But it's just the essence. And it doesn't take away from everything. It's almost like, like, well, I hate to argue with you, but... And, you know, all his points are good. He's just such a professional. And Charlie, Charlie's so talented. She's next level. She's such a good host. You know, it just, it was, it, stuff like that. When you get talented people on a panel like that, it just makes it very easy and very fun. And, oh, my God, I can't wait till Billy Kay and Peyton Royce are on the main roster. Because I told him I found Peyton Royce at WrestleMania uh, backstage and said that that was my favorite part of the pre-show panel, having them up there. They were so good, and it was so much fun. If you haven't seen it, I would recommend checking it out because TakeOver was good. We'll probably get to talk about that a little bit in the state of wrestling. Um, so getting to watch that was great, uh, but but it was, it was awesome being a part of that panel. And then the next day, to go to the stadium, the Citrus Bowl there in Orlando, and actually be a part of the WrestleMania kickoff show, I mean, this, uh, a dream come true is, is a total understatement. The, the, I, the staff at WWE leaves nothing, nothing to be desired. They're incredible. It was, it was stated multiple times in my earshot. Producers, young guys, this is WrestleMania. It has to be perfect. That effort problem-solving abilities, 
hardworking, like all that stuff translates across the board to everybody that works there. And, and that's why the product looks like it looks because everybody is that invested in it. Everybody is there to make sure that this thing goes off without a hitch. And, and it helps because that's why people look so good on the show because everybody around them is expected to work at a certain level and they do. And I, they just find really talented people who have a strong work ethic to, to make something great. Um, you know, it's, it's, it's crazy. All the stuff we did, Peter Rosenberg and me, all that stuff was live. Live, live. Not, not live to tape. Live, live. So they were sending us down. We were running around the, the stadium. Uh, just incredible. And then, you know, getting to watch WrestleMania. For, I, I was all over the place. I was backstage. I was hanging out on the floor with Maria Menounos for a little bit. I was hanging out on the floor with Pete Gass, my buddy, for a little bit. I was up in uh, right next to the entryway with uh, my buddy X-Pac for a little bit. Awesome. Just such an awesome time. And if any of you have not been to a WrestleMania Live, you've got to, especially now. You know, I went to WrestleMania 20, and it was really great. It was the last one at Madison Square Garden. Super fun. But WrestleMania weekend has just become such an event. I would strongly recommend any wrestling fan, WWE fan, take your vacation around WrestleMania. Next year, if you can do it, New Orleans, great city. But you'll go down there, get down there, leave Wednesday night. Be there all day Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday. If you can stay Monday for Raw, Tuesday for SmackDown, more power to you. I, I, know, I don't usually have the ability to stay for Raw or SmackDown. But if you can be down there Thursday, Friday, Saturday, and Sunday, leaving on Monday, it's just it's a really fun weekend with access and Hall of Fame and TakeOver, plus all, this, all the WrestleCon stuff. WrestleCon, I, that was the only thing. I was doing so much work for WWE this weekend, I didn't get to go to WrestleCon or see any of the Flow Sports WrestleCon shows because I heard they were they were cool, and I didn't get to see the Ring of Honor show either. Luckily, I got to see the Hardys anyway, which we'll talk about, but um, that was the only regret. There's so much stuff going on, you can't possibly do it all, but I, I would recommend anybody, anybody, if you're a fan of this stuff, go out there and bring your, your girlfriend, your wife, your husband, your boyfriend with you. Even if they're not fans, they'll be fans this weekend. It's a blast. It's so much fun. There's wrestlers everywhere. It's just, it's just fun. Trust me on that. Uh, maybe we should get into the state of wrestling so we can actually talk about what's going on in this crazy, crazy world of sports entertainment, huh? Let's do it. Oh, but before we do, don't forget to uh, get yourself a, a shirt, right? You know, help support the podcast uh, by getting yourself a brand new uh, Sam Roberts Wrestling Podcast shirt, not Sam shirt, not Sam Mode shirt, the Sam Roberts Action Figure shirt, whatever you want, and there's free shipping on orders over 150 bucks. So buy every shirt. Go to NotSam.com slash merch, NotSam.com slash merch, and you'll be able to get your hands on whatever t-shirt you want. Boo the bad guys even, because that's what you should be doing. NotSam.com slash merch, and we'll start State of Wrestling right now. It's now time for this week's State of Wrestling. Before we start anything official, uh, I do. I just listened to a clip of Diamond Dallas Page on the Dan Lebetard 
show. He's like a sports radio show host. And, you know, Dan Levitard is, is one of these guys who thinks it's ridiculous to talk about wrestling, but it's perfectly reasonable to sit there for four hours a day and do a sports radio show. Like sports because, uh, I don't know, for some reason, grown men playing a game is this like thing that needs to be discussed ad nauseum every day for hours on end. But it's ridiculous to think that anybody would enjoy uh, talking about uh, professional wrestling at all. So, you know, he was he was an asshole, and he had DDP on, and he was very disrespectful to him, and then he kind of, and then, you know, DDP obviously cursed him out and hung up the phone, which good for DDP, and then when there were wrestling fans that were mad about the way the interview went, he acted like it's crazy that anybody would be mad about that. There's a big difference between that type of nonsense, which doesn't do anything, and what I do with Jim Norton on my SiriusXM show. That's why I wish that uh, some people would realize that, like, right now, the way pro wrestling is perceived in mainstream media is a lot like that interview with Diamond Dallas Page, where it's not taken seriously, and it's, it's, it's taken like a joke. Whereas, when I have people on with Jim, like AJ Lee, for instance, today, while he's asking basic questions that you guys know the answers to, he's coming from a mainstream perspective and actually taking it seriously by asking questions. So try to keep that in mind as we go forward. Um, The only place for me to start, as far as this week goes, is with The Undertaker. Because The Undertaker uh, apparently retiring at WrestleMania is as big a news item as probably there ever will be in this world of pro wrestling. The Undertaker as a character, as a performer, is the single constant that has existed in WWE above all else. And while he's come and gone, he's never actually left. Meaning... Even at this stage in his career, he would disappear for a year at a time, but he would always be back. And when he was gone for a year, it's not like he'd be doing a whole bunch of other stuff. He'd be gone. We wouldn't hear from him until it was time to hear from him again. He never. He didn't go to other companies. Even when he altered the character during the Attitude Era, and while that wasn't the best time for The Undertaker, I don't think that it was the worst thing to do. You know, that that maybe that is the character maybe needed to be put on pause in order to come back even stronger. You have to imagine, okay, let's look at The Undertaker's career. You're talking about a guy who started with the WWF at the time in November of 1990. He's a young guy, and this character is a lot more serious and dark than anything that's gone on previously in WWE. It's not a cartoon Undertaker. It is a guy that really strikes fear. And that's that's why this man who portrayed The Undertaker is such of uh, has such a value because there's not a lot of people that could have gotten that character across, especially in all the incarnations, the way he did. There's not a lot of people who could have shown up at Survivor Series 1990 and made us believe in that character. We've had that conversation about Bray Wyatt and this Sister Abigail stuff. It's 
do you believe in the sort of voodoo demonic powers of Bray Wyatt? And it's kind of difficult to believe in that, right? Because that it's it, conceptually, it's it's cartoony and comic booky, but we believe in the Undertaker, and we believed in him from the very beginning, when he would put his opponents into a body bag at the end of a match. We believed it. He never broke character, and we believed it. A year into his time in the WWF. He defeated Hulk Hogan for the WWF Championship. That is something that so few people ever did, especially at that time, that it was shocking. It sent shockwaves through the world. He became a good guy by 1992. And by 1992, he's one of the big attractions. Two years in, He's one of the major attractions. I remember at by SummerSlam 92 when he's riding down the aisle in a hearse while Undertaker versus Kamala is not the match of the year that everybody remembers. It's not the Bret Hart, Davy Boy Smith match that everybody remembers. Undertaker versus Kamala is remembered because of the spectacle that was the Undertaker going down the aisle because of people like my dad, not a wrestling fan, who was sitting there and he left talking about, and to this day, what is that, 25 years later, he sits there and he goes, you remember that time The Undertaker came to the ring in a hearse? To everybody, that was cool. He then invents the coffin match, brings that to the table. 1993 comes about, 1994 comes about. He steps away for the first time, and we have the Underfaker. And and his character survives. Something as ridiculous as Undertaker 2 popping up. The character survives, and quite honestly, when the Undertaker came back from his injury and beat the Underfaker at SummerSlam 94 and showed up wearing the purple and black, it was an Undertaker that was on a whole new level. That was when people first started wondering if it was a different person altogether portraying the character. Because the, that's when the character, you know, from being a bad guy Undertaker to a good guy Undertaker, it was still the Undertaker. Undertaker in purple made a shift. That's when, to me, he was already in 1994 going into 1995 something that was different from the rest of the roster. That, to me, is when it really started to take effect. Uh, You had a guy who, in 95, was wrestling with a broken orbital bone in his face and broken ribs. And what did he do when he broke his face because a giant man leg dropped him incorrectly? He didn't complain about it. A mask was created for him that made him look even more badass. A mask was created for him that he was able to pull off and make so memorable that it's still, to this day, being added to action figures that come out of him. That Phantom of the Opera mask? 1996 rolls around, and what does he do? He puts over Mick Foley in a way that nobody else could. He makes mankind a credible supervillain in the WWE. This is 96 now, so we're talking, what, six years? Less than six years 
into the thing, and he's already a legend. He was uh, going forward to 97. He's now a big part, and uncredited really, but a big part of what is ushering in the Attitude Era. What ushered in the Attitude Era to me was that Bret Hart, Shawn Michaels feud that was going on. Stone Cold right here in the bullpen, ready to come up. But what was there tying everything together? And really tying this new era to the past. It was not Bret Hart, because Bret Hart's character had done a complete 180. It was not Shawn Michaels, because he had gone from the boyhood dream to the guy who's yelling, suck it, and coming out to the ring red-faced every match. No, it was The Undertaker. Because even though now he's in all black... Even though now his character has changed, he is still The Undertaker. And when Shawn Michaels isn't around to be the champion, The Undertaker is. And when Shawn Michaels is back and ready for another title run, The Undertaker is there to give the title to Bret Hart in order to get it to Shawn Michaels so that Stone Cold Steve Austin can walk out of WrestleMania 14 with it. And what happens with The Undertaker? He makes another star out of Glenn Jacobs, who we now know as Kane. This is a guy who was the fake Diesel, who was Unabom, who was Isaac Yankum DDS. And he gets involved with The Undertaker and is able to tell a story with that character that is so compelling that Kane to this day, this is, we're talking. 1997, 20 years later, Kane is still a relevant character. If Kane comes out, Kane could come out at any moment. He is still technically on the roster. And that's to me because of what he did with The Undertaker. He Undertaker had the, 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 the best... Helen, had the best set of Hell in a Cell matches. I thought the best Hell in a Cell match would always be the first Hell in a Cell match between The Undertaker and Shawn Michaels. The only other Hell in a Cell match that you could argue is better is between The Undertaker and Triple H. Years later. When The Undertaker decides it's time to put that character on pause because the Attitude Era has ushered in a reality where The Undertaker doesn't fit in, the Undertaker is still badass, but now he's the American badass, and he's more of a biker guy. And not everybody's favorite Undertaker, but for the time, it fit and maybe was necessary for the survival of that character. Because right before that, it was probably my favorite Undertaker, which was Ministry of Darkness Undertaker. That's when it really became evil, evil, evil. And there's not, you, you can't go too far past how evil that was so we become the american badass and that's okay because not too long after that the undertaker goes away again and at wrestlemania 20 he comes back for another match with kane six years removed from their first encounter at wrestlemania 14 only this time he's this sort of badass western movie Undertaker, where he's got kind of the, the, the trench coat is leather, 
It's a tank top and leather pants. The hat's a little wider, and it is it is like something out of a Clint Eastwood movie. And the reaction that he gets is, oh my God, The Undertaker is back. You're talking about WrestleMania 20, 13 years removed from his first WrestleMania match. And he's only starting this phase of his, of his career. He went on to hold uh, more world titles. He put SmackDown, along with a lot of young talent, but he was the glue, the foundation of SmackDown. Undertaker was the foundation of SmackDown that allowed Edge, Eddie Guerrero, Chris Benoit, Rey Mysterio, and all those guys to become John Cena. All those guys to become household names. What really made John Cena in his first night? Was it the fact that he answered Kurt Angle's challenge? Or was it the fact that The Undertaker shook his hand? How about the fact that The Undertaker allowed himself to be eliminated by Maven in the Royal Rumble? Just to give the kid a rub. Did it work for him? That one didn't work for Maven. But the fact that it happened, I mean, even more recently, he went into the 2000s, past the 2000s, into the 2010s. His feud with CM Punk, and I'm not talking about the WrestleMania one, I'm talking about over the the world title, where The Undertaker goes back to the Hell in a Cell pay-per-view and takes that world title from CM Punk. He goes on years later, to wrestle CM Punk in one of the best Undertaker matches at WrestleMania. He somehow takes a guy who is known as Mr. WrestleMania in Shawn Michaels. And in Shawn Michaels' final performance in his career, in a match that was... he this. The years leading up to this match weren't ever supposed to happen. Shawn Michaels had retired something like 10 years before this match because of a back injury, only to somehow come back and have what many believe is the run of his career. And when was his best match? When was Shawn Michaels' best match? Not until the end of his career when he wrestled The Undertaker. You're talking about two guys that had been involved for over 20 years and now are putting on the show stealer. A lot of people talk about young talent. It is not the job of older talent to step aside and allow young talent to prosper. It is young talent's job to step in and take the spotlight from old talent. It is young talent's job to go in and steal the show so that the old talent realizes my spot's been taken. And what do The Undertaker and Shawn Michaels do? They go out and they steal the show twice. And what does The Undertaker do after that? He goes on to have two matches with Triple H right after that, which were some of the best matches on those respective WrestleManias. And while he would take off for certain periods of time, and while some people after that started saying, look, The Undertaker's old, The Undertaker's injured, The Undertaker's got to stop, never did anyone regret seeing a match with The Undertaker. Never, never was anybody not excited when he walked to the ring at WrestleMania, which he did every year at the end of his career. 
you know, I, I, this is this is a guy who made Brock Lesnar before Brock Lesnar beat the Undertaker at WrestleMania 30. He was not the beast that you see him today. He was a guy that lost half the matches that he fought. He was a guy that in his return to WWE lost to John Cena. He was a guy that lost to Triple H. Brock Lesnar was not an unstoppable monster until we all saw him end the Undertaker streak. At that point, reality set in that because Brock Lesnar had beaten the Undertaker, we all realized that Brock Lesnar was unstoppable because nobody beats the Undertaker. He came back, Undertaker. He beat Bray Wyatt. He beat Shane McMahon last year at WrestleMania. And say what you want, were they the best Undertaker matches he's ever had? No. Did everybody enjoy the match? Absolutely. And we get to this WrestleMania. And this is an abridged history. We get to this WrestleMania where we see Roman Reigns defeat The Undertaker. And while nobody knew every WrestleMania, somebody says this is going to be The Undertaker's last match, nobody knew for sure. WrestleMania ends. It's now past, it's midnight now. The show's been going on for seven hours, including the pre-show. And everybody is has their eyes glued to the ring as they watch The Undertaker, who has put his coat and his hat back on, take his gloves, his hat, and his jacket, and leave them piled in the center of the ring. This is a guy who is so well-respected that every top, and when I say top, I mean top guy who worked at WrestleMania this year, was watching his match on the monitor in catering. They didn't go home. They didn't go to sleep on their bus. They watched, they sat down in the catering area backstage and they watched every minute of it. This is a guy who had superstars from the WWE, many of whom have seen it all, many of whom are jaded, many of whom are not WWE fans anymore because it's something they live day in and day out have tears in their eyes when they're watching this character say goodbye tears in their eyes can you imagine it's one thing for fans to get emotional I'm talking about the man's co-workers had tears in their eyes watching him say goodbye I don't know what happened in this universe that put me in the position that I was put in. But somehow, through a chain of events that I would never have been able to predict, I was standing backstage watching The Undertaker say goodbye to the audience. And I stood there. Nobody was running to get on the buses to go back to the hotel. I wasn't running on the buses to get back to the hotel. I stood there. And through some stroke of fate and luck and whatever it was, my journey brought me to this place where I watched The Undertaker come back to the dressing room after what is apparently his final match with Roman Reigns. 
and somehow I got to be a part of the standing ovation that that locker room gave him, not just for that match, but for his career and for what amounts to setting the table that has allowed dozens, if not hundreds, of superstars to eat. That's what The Undertaker brings. The Undertaker didn't bring something to the table. It was The Undertaker's table. He built it. That's, to me, how important The Undertaker is to this whole game. Um, I mean, and this is all coming straight off the top of my head. This is all memory. I'm sure there's tons of stuff I'm not thinking of. Everybody's got favorite Undertaker moments. Um, I didn't know what I was going to say about The Undertaker. This is just something, this is just as I'm thinking, I'm freestyling as they say. But it was, if this is what it is, it's one of the most important WrestleMania moments of all time. And, you know, I think that because of the way it happened, look, there are photos online, you can look them up yourself. I saw them. Uh, He is so, nothing in the sports entertainment business is as real as The Undertaker is. You talk about real, you talk about fake. The Undertaker is as real as it gets, okay? Again, you talk about guys that are jaded, that have seen it all, that do this night in and night out. Yet, somehow, when the ring crew was cleaning up the stadium, was cleaning up the Citrus Bowl, all the fans are gone. You don't have to play the storyline anymore. The fans have all gone home. The ring ropes are coming down. The chairs have been removed. The house lights are all on because everything is getting swept up. And what is still laying in the middle of the canvas in that ring that's being taken down but the Undertaker's gloves, the Undertaker's hat, and the Undertaker's jacket? Because that's how much he means to literally everybody in the company. I think that this is the way for him to go out. And, you know, he's not a guy that is is or should take on any kind of general manager role, take on any kind of non-wrestling role. This should be the career of The Undertaker. This is the way he should go out. And hopefully he doesn't. Look, maybe I'm just saying this because The Undertaker is my ultimate interview want. Everybody asks me who's one guy you'd love to interview that you haven't. It's The Undertaker is the answer. He's my number one want for an interview. And maybe I feel this way because I don't know if I can get him, so I don't want anybody else to get him. But the reality is I don't think he should do any interviews. I don't think he should do any autograph sessions. I don't think he should do any photo ops. I think he should disappear. I think a man named Mark should privately live his life in Texas and The Undertaker as we know him maybe said goodbye. I don't even know if you induct him into the Hall of Fame for a very long time. Just because let that be, just let the ghost of The Undertaker loom over WrestleMania. Let the ghost of that character be omnipresent at WrestleMania. Once he's in the Hall of Fame, you almost acknowledge the man behind the character. Let the ghost of that character just loom. 
Undertaker is on a different level. When you talk about the best of all time, for me, my favorite of all time is Stone Cold Steve Austin. You talk about you know the guys that carried the company, the icons. You talk about Hulk Hogan. But there's two guys that rise completely above everybody in the industry. One of them is Andre the Giant, and the other is The Undertaker. They are on a list completely by themselves, removed from everything and everyone. And maybe a lot of it is folklore, and a lot of it is legend, but it is what it is. And that's The Undertaker. Roman Reigns is, at this moment in time, the best guy to retire him. If you gave that match to AJ Styles, you're giving it to a guy who probably at best has five years in him. Could be less in the WWE and a guy who's got one year of history in WWE. If you give it to John Cena, you're literally giving the victory to a guy who is a part-timer now. And John Cena to me is a hugely important addition to the WWE roster and the WWE universe. But he is a guy who's going to be in and out. This is a guy who is going to take the WWE to the mainstream. This is a guy who's going to come back and put eyes on the company. But those eyes are going to come from the sources that he gets them from when he's outside the company. He's going to be going to make movies so that his name grows so that when he comes back to WWE, there's more eyes on it. But that's not the guy to beat The Undertaker. Roman Reigns is the guy for a couple reasons. Number one, he's a guy that is obviously going to grow with the company. Number two, because in this context, Roman Reigns gets put in the position that we've wanted him to be put in. As I said, leading to this match, Roman Reigns has had very little respect for The Undertaker. We talked about it on the SiriusXM show on Friday before WrestleMania. He's had very little respect for The Undertaker. There's not much more a bad guy can do than disrespect The Undertaker. And what is, you know, you talk about all the accomplishments The Undertaker had in relation to other superstars. And what is his legacy? Quite possibly the best start to a Raw after WrestleMania that there has ever been which was that crowd chanting Undertaker, slowly drifting into Roman sucks, so that Roman could come out, he could stand in the ring for minutes as the crowd chanted at him, and all he has to come back with is a couple of words. When he braggadociously says, this is my yard. When he is pridefully announcing that he ended The Undertaker. With those words, that's what he's doing. So the Undertaker, to me, Roman Reigns is not a full-on bad guy right now. But the I'm not a bad guy, I'm not a good guy, I'm the guy thing is finally getting to the place where it should be. Where we've got a reason to boo him, but since he's not a full-fledged bad guy, kids, women, whoever can still cheer him. Which I think is important. I think it's really important. WrestleMania, that was obviously the moment. The Undertaker retiring was the moment. My favorite match at WrestleMania was Brock Lesnar versus Goldberg. And the reason for that was it ended that story in the best way possible. It felt like justice was served. After that match, I left with this this feeling of relief. I left feeling like a weight was off my shoulders 
because finally all the stuff that's been going on with Goldberg and Brock Lesnar made sense. And it, I mean, and you got to think about this stuff long term. But to me, the fact that Goldberg dominated Brock, uh, uh, Brock Lesnar dominated Goldberg the way he did after he was beaten, has now made Brock Lesnar even stronger, which is something that I thought would happen. And I talked about why Goldberg beating Brock Lesnar was not a bad thing, and I think I was right. I also, if you go back and listen to the podcast before WrestleMania, all I could do is I talked to Lindendahl about how the world would change when Goldberg missed the spear. And in that match, it didn't happen right at the beginning, but in that match, Goldberg misses the spear, and that was the end of Goldberg. He didn't get any real offense after he missed that spear. I don't know if they're listening to my podcast and getting ideas. I don't know if great minds think alike. But I called it. That's all I'm saying. Um, The biggest pop in that building at WrestleMania for sure, I was out there on the floor for it, was the Hardys coming back. Which again, you know, I said I thought Finn Balor would show up on the Raw before WrestleMania. I could see the Hardys showing up at WrestleMania. And they did, and they won the tag team titles. If you listen to what the Hardys have done in terms of mic work since winning, they did a couple promos for WWE.com. They were on uh, Raw Talk after Raw this week on the network. And Matt Hardy has not completely let go of the broken Matt character. He's still saying delightful and wonderful and, and kind of making weird faces. But at the same time, I think WWE doesn't want to get involved in anything legal impact wrestling in terms of that broken character which i think will be fine again i think that the hardys if used properly are posed to have a hulk hogan 2000s run where they can kind of have dream matches with all these tag teams i think that's what the hardys will be used for i don't think the hardys will be in wwe forever but they could have an amazing year or an amazing two years of really cool dream matches and then kind of just be gone like end their end their career on that if they're ready to go but but it would bring some closure to the fact that they still have time in them meaning that after they left the WWE even though they were there for a long time it wasn't quite time for them to hang up the boots um i for me being in the live crowd i the the graphics on the ring in the Bray Wyatt Randy Orton match looked really really cool, but they didn't seem that effective. Like I couldn't really tell as I was watching because I didn't have the commentary on who was doing that or why. Because at first I thought it was Bray Wyatt, but Randy Orton from my vantage point didn't appear to be reacting much to the graphics, and maybe I missed something. I could have. Um, you know, I wasn't thrilled to see Bray Wyatt go out on an RKO out of nowhere. Um, but it is what it is. That that was probably my one moment of disappointment at WrestleMania. I kind of looked. I think I was watching with X-Pac. And we looked at each other like, what? Because X-Pac is as well a big Bray Wyatt fan. Um, so I was disappointed that that's the way it went for Bray. But I guess... It is what it is. I, I, at least Bray is still in in contention for the title, but I just don't. I don't. I don't see him getting it back, which is not great. A big shame for me. Um, I I I guess we can. Uh, uh, you know, let's talk about the Hardys pop for a second, because I thought about this. Because at the same time, you've got Kurt Angle being announced as the general manager of Monday Night Raw, 
who his skit with Enzo and Cass is what the show has been missing. Kurt Angle's line when he goes, that's not how you spell that. Genius. Brilliant. And I, I loved it. And I loved the idea that finally we have a general manager who hasn't necessarily been counted out of physical activity. He can have a match. We've needed that badly in that general manager role. So I think Kurt Angle is going to be a brilliant general manager. But you've got a WWE now that has Kurt Angle, the Hardy Boys, Samoa Joe, AJ Styles, Austin Aries, uh, 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 Bobby Roode, a lot of guys who made their bones in TNA. And some people have said that they're like raiding TNA for talent. And I don't think that's true. If anything, when WCW raided WWE for TNA, when they brought in Hulk Hogan and Macho Man and, and guys like that, they brought in talent that had been previously established and they had them do very similar things on WCW programming so that they could get similar results to what WWE was getting. WWE is bringing talent that was in TNA over and they are are making them so much bigger than they ever were in TNA that it's embarrassing. You heard me when I interviewed AJ Styles a couple of weeks ago here on the podcast when I said AJ feels like he's a WWE superstar. Like he's AJ Styles from WWE now. It's not New Japan. It's not TNA. It's WWE. And what WWE is doing is embarrassing TNA to the point they're saying, look, you had all these guys. You had glorious Bobby Roode. You had Kurt Angle that you could have used as a general manager. You had the Hardys. You had all these guys that are making money hand over fist for WWE. You had a guy like Austin Aries, who to me is having the best worked match at WrestleMania this year, and one of the few things in the Cruiserweight division that is actually super over. And somehow TNA couldn't make money with any of these guys. It's no wonder why everybody's so frustrated over at TNA. It's no wonder, because it's not the talent. That's what WWE has proved. It's not the talent. Because it's not like they're taking the talent that TNA has and doing something so dramatically different with them. They're just doing what they do in WWE, which is create stars. And 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 not just create stars, create superstars. And TNA simply, in my opinion, does not have the ability to do that. They just don't. You know, the one example of them creating somebody would have been AJ Styles... But everything, the stuff he's, in one year, he's eclipsed his entire TNA career. His year that he's been in WWE, his year and a half, I guess, is so much more relevant than the 10 or however long it was that he spent in TNA. It's a joke. I think TNA needs to take a real hard, long look at what's going on in WWE and realize that they badly need to step their game up in a huge, huge way. Speaking of using talent, um... Raw and SmackDown were both brilliant shows this week. And I talked to Wade Keller on the PW Torch uh, show that he does. And I said that one of the reasons why I think that the Raw after WrestleMania crowd was actually more cooperative this year than they usually are is because the shows were so good. And the talent is so good right now. WWE is in a great spot. And so I think it's a little tougher to disrupt all of it when you don't have to. Um... Here's how I feel about the new talent coming in. 
I was not surprised to see Ty Dillinger on SmackDown because I was on the floor during NXT TakeOver Orlando after the pre-show that I did. If you haven't seen that, watch it on the network. I loved, as I said, working with Nigel and Charlie. I was on the floor, and the reaction that Ty Dillinger got at that TakeOver show was so mind-blowing. I got goosebumps as I was watching, literally. It was so loud and so much bigger than anything else going on in that match. I said immediately, even if you don't know what you're going to do on SmackDown, even if you don't have full faith that he's going to be a household name, Ty Dillinger needs to be on the main roster today. This type of reaction can't stay in NXT. It just can't. You're wasting it. So, you know, I don't know what's going to come of Ty Dillinger on the main roster. I don't know. And I don't think he knows. I don't think anybody knows. But I think you have to take that kind of reaction and try it. I also don't know what comes of the Revival. I think the Revival were treated very well on Raw. Hopefully because they're an old school tag team and they're like badass. It's something that Vince McMahon and the people who are in charge of Raw can really wrap their head around. Um, But I do worry. I do worry that the Revival may get lost in the shuffle. You know, Gallows and Anderson looked pretty dominating when they first showed up on Raw. And now it depends on a given week. Sometimes they're super dominating and sometimes they're not at all. So I do worry that that could happen with the Revival. I'm not even sort of worried about Nakamura. On Tuesday, I thought to myself, after I had watched Raw, I thought to myself, I believe Shinsuke Nakamura will debut on SmackDown this week. That's That was my prediction. And, and it came true. Nakamura came out, and I mean, you talk about a great entrance. That uh, uh, violinist... I don't know if that's how you say the name of a person who plays the violin, but that guy showing up and playing violin, everybody knew, every hardcore fan knew exactly what it was. And I was like, oh my God, no, no, no. Nakamura comes out on SmackDown, blows everybody's mind, has this entrance. And to everybody that says he should have done something, like, what are you talking about? That was perfect what we saw. Just give him an impression. Space it out. Nice and slow. Introduce the world to Nakamura, right? Because everybody that saw Shinsuke Nakamura this week on SmackDown that doesn't know who he is because they don't watch NXT, and there are a lot more people than you think that may be in that category, want to know more about that guy because he had a spectacular entrance and is oozing charisma, and they're like, who is this guy? Let it happen over time, man. SmackDown's got a while before there's another SmackDown pay-per-view. I mean, we don't need that. I don't need to see Miz versus Nakamura next week on SmackDown. I need to take some time. When Finn Balor showed up on Raw in in the summer of, of last year, I thought the best thing they did was they gave him a clean win over Roman Reigns, and then they didn't use him every week. He did not wrestle every week before SummerSlam. It was a special thing when he did. And I think that's what they should do with Nakamura. I really hope he doesn't get traded to SmackDown in this superstar, I mean to Raw in this superstar shakeup because I think SmackDown is the perfect spot for him. It's going to allow him to become a lead guy there before he eventually graduates to Raw. It's just a nice slow build for, to me, my one of my favorite superstars in the business right now. Um So I thought it was perfect. I'm not even sort of worried about what happens with Nakamura because his talent, his charisma, his showmanship, 
the vibe that he gives off. His it factor is totally undeniable. As far as the superstar shakeup goes, I think it's a good idea. I think it's a good idea because I think that it should happen annually. I think that it should happen right after WrestleMania. And even though the draft didn't happen right after WrestleMania, for I'm sure a multitude of reasons, you've got to start it at some point. And I think that doing this is better than doing it the other way where you have to wait until next year. I don't think we need another year of this. And I and I don't think that the rosters need to shift super dramatically. I like the idea of a superstar shakeup because that means it's not like a whole new draft. It just means maybe Vince McMahon decides to make some changes. Maybe it means the general manager, maybe it just means trades are open so Kurt Angle and Daniel Bryan and Shane McMahon can work together to make some trades. Um you know, I talked to Wade Keller about this, but I think that Seth Rollins is a good candidate for a trade. I think Roman Reigns is an interesting candidate for a trade, but I, th- I think he might do better on Raw. I think AJ Styles is a good candidate for a trade. I think Sami Zayn is a good candidate for a trade. I think Baron Corbin is a great candidate for a trade. I think Baron Corbin on Raw is a really interesting thing that I'd like to see. I'd like to see what Baron Corbin does on Raw. I think he's another one that's like uh, one of the top guys for me. I w- uh, by the way, on SmackDown, uh, I was like, wh- I, I didn't understand what was going on. I don't know why they gave him that non-title match and had him won. I mean, just bite the bullet. Just put the Intercontinental title on Baron Corbin. It's time. He's the man. Very odd that they had him win a non-title match after losing the title match at WrestleMania. Just, I don't think it adds anything to anyone. When stuff like that happens. Speaking of adding and subtracting, Simon Gotch was released. Just before I started recording uh, today's show, Simon Gotch no longer working with WWE, uh, which to me is it's interesting. Um, it's not the Vaude Villains that got released. It's just Simon Gotch. I don't know the story behind that. I talked to him at WrestleMania. He didn't hint to anything to me. About, as, if anything, here's what I here. I'll tell you what my conversation with Simon Gotch was. I don't remember how we got to it, but we started talking about the perception that the vaudevillains weren't being used, and or that the vaudevillains had heat on them or something. And he said, "This is there's no heat on the vaudevillains. This is the way we've been forever. We've always had heat on us. They've never used us, is what the implication was. Which you know, I think that they did have a." height of popularity in NXT, but he made it seem like even when they were popular in NXT, they were not necessarily loved by the office. So the idea that there's this rumor going on now that the office has soured on the vaudevillains, he made it seem like they haven't soured, they they were never unsoured. This is just the way it's been forever. So it was weird two days later to hear he was given a mutual release. Um, you know, I read, I saw on his Twitter, he posted somebody's account and said it wasn't true of like big drama surrounding him in the locker room and a fight between him and, uh, and, uh, and, and, and what's his name? I'm blanking on his name, but I know it. And I will think of it in a moment, his partner in the Vaude Villains that everybody's listening to this podcast right now and screaming at. It's literally on the tip of my tongue. And I know I just said it a minute ago. Damn it. Um, all right, whatever. Uh, Aiden English. Aiden English, uh, and again, I didn't look that up. Top of the dome. He didn't get, I didn't see him get into any fight with Aiden English. 
I've shared uh, a couple of spaces with him. I've been to a couple of pay-per-views that the SmackDown guys are at now. I've never seen any drama with him. So I don't know. I have no idea what it was. But I would love to get to the bottom of that. And at some point, I'd love to get Simon Gotch to be on this podcast. Um, There's a lot of stuff that we're not talking about. You know, Nia Jax, it looks like she's going to be a good guy. Uh, uh, There's a lot. Um, I think we should end on NXT and what is happening right now with NXT. Uh, To me, Drew Galloway, I think he should be Drew McIntyre. I don't know. I don't remember how they're billing him, but he is a very, very important signing because I'm I'm very high on him, and I think he's a guy who left the WWE and truly raised his stock working in the indies, especially because he was like Cody Rhodes, not really looked at as an indie guy. He was looked at as a WWE guy, and now it's different. You know, he's been to PWG. He's been to all these super credible indie things. He's wrestled and won titles in the UK. Uh, I think he's an asset to NXT and I think that's where he belongs but I also don't think that they need to constantly be bringing in established people to simply have a space in the uh in the world title scene you know I think that the more valuable commodity that NXT has now is a guy like Tommy End I think NXT needs to go back to creating characters even when they were taking guys that were established right I Here's what I think. I think that NXT is not creating characters right now because the characters that they created maybe have not done well on the main roster. Because characters like the Vaude Villains and uh, uh, Tyler Breeze and guys like that have not done well on the main roster. The Wyatt family did well on the main roster and is doing well on the main roster, so there are exceptions. But I think that that's why they haven't gone gimmick crazy but I think for what NXT has become, they need that stuff. In terms of a touring brand, NXT was pretty strong when they were character-based. Even Enzo and Cass are doing really well on the main roster in my mind. And they're character-based for sure. I think NXT needs to go back to being heavy character-based and having their own characters. I also, you know, I think there's exceptions. I think Samoa Joe is a fine exception. Even Shinsuke Nakamura is an exception. But I don't think changing guys' names in NXT is a bad thing, and I'll tell you why. Because even though I just said AJ Styles has become WWE's AJ Styles, that's not the most that's not the easiest thing in the world to do. And I think Finn Balor instantly became a homeboy, an instant connection to WWE and NXT because he wasn't Prince Devitt anymore. He was Finn Balor. And even though, and Kevin Owens the same way, and even though Finn Balor and Kevin Owens are not that different from Kevin Steen and Prince Devitt, it's different enough that it becomes a WWE creation. And it's something that NXT loyalists can point at and say, that's mine. And it's something that can come to the WWE main roster as a WWE creation which because of the way we've been raised watching this product ends up feeling like home so i think it's valuable that that be brought up that's why i love that tommy end is now alistair black i think that's the right move but i think they need to keep going with that i think there are other guys that they need to bring up and and create i think uh, i think uh, pete dunn should have been in nxt yesterday i don't think that he belongs on a touring uk section i think that you know i understand the value to having that 
but I think they might need to pick and choose from that division. And Tyler Bate, while I love him, 19 years old, he's still got a lot of time, and he can be the face of that UK division. I think Pete Dunne needs to be on the NXT roster officially. And when they do UK shows, bring him back to the UK and put him on there. But Pete Dunne needs to be tearing through the NXT roster right now because he's awesome, and he could be one of the top heels. And those are the guys, by the way, that need to be main event credible in order to further develop this thing as a, as a touring brand. Those are the things that you need. You need a, a guy like Pete Dunne, who is conceivably an NXT creation because we in the U.S. aren't that familiar with his U.K. stuff, and he's young, and he's credible in a main event. He's not some guy with decades of work coming in because that's not exactly what NXT, I think, is strongest at. Um... I, I love that Asuka is planting the seeds to turn heel in the sense that she did that referee thing. Uh, I think it's very valuable to NXT that she's staying. Uh, and again, like, Asuka feels like an NXT creation. Even though she's not, she feels like it. I think this stuff needs to feel like an NXT creation. Bobby Roode does to some extent, but not fully. Not fully. You know, and he's a bad guy anyway, so you, you need good guys uh, that are that. All right, so uh, I think we covered a bunch of it um, that, that's happened. This has just been a remarkable week in the world of WWE, and, and things are just on such a positive note. I'm, I'm happy. I'm happy to be a wrestling fan. I'm happy to be a WWE fan. This is what this podcast is all about, man, celebrating being a fan of WWE. I hope you've enjoyed the celebration. I know I have. Uh, hit me up on Twitter at NotSam. Don't forget to subscribe to this podcast on iTunes. Leave a rating and a review, please. It really, really helps the podcast. Use the Amazon link, NotSam.com slash Amazon, and buy a t-shirt at NotSam.com slash merch. And we'll see you next week here on Sam Roberts Wrestling Podcast. Thanks for listening. Follow at NotSam on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, and YouTube. And subscribe for free to listen every week to Sam Roberts Wrestling Podcast. For the ones standing guard, for the eagle-eyed, for the knights in shining armor, and for all those who support them, we are Granger, your experienced safety partner, offering supplies and solutions for every industry, committed to helping keep your facilities safe and your people safer. Call clickgranger.com slash safety or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.